Hey, my friends, thanks for tuning in to C-Suite Radio, home of all these business podcasts. This is where business happens and where you get to listen to business all the time, and you get to listen to interesting characters like my guest today. I got Marty Stouffer on. Man, he's the narrator, producer of wildlife and nature documentary series that have been on TV forever. He did Wild America. We're talking about 260 PBS stations. He had 450 million viewers a week. I'm telling you, man, if it was wildlife, if it was out in the woods, if it was in a lake, in a river, in a stream, Marty has filmed it and even went underground a couple of times, you'll find out, in some of our discussions. And I just love Marty. I could I could ask him one question and he'd talk for three hours. Literally, he would do that. Okay? And he's just been a great guy. And he, of course, had a movie made of his life back in 1997, Wild America, with that child actor, uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, if you remember that. Some of you might have grown up watching that. And, of course, he produced TV series for John Denver for ABCs in the late 70s and 80s. And, oh, and half a dozen one-hour specials for National Geographic Society. So he's done about everything. And I am really, really glad to call him my friend. And I'm glad he's joining me with me right here on All Business. Welcome, Marty. Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, Marty, how the heck did you get started in TV? Uh, That's a good question. Uh, Anyway, first, thanks for having me on. Um, you know, I think I could probably blame my mother. Uh, I say that jokingly. Growing up in Arkansas, we were a little ways out of town. We weren't really on a ranch or a farm or in the country, but we had four or five acres. And our mother was so understanding. We had all sorts of pets. I mean, I got a billy goat one year for Christmas, to put it in perspective, We had a white miniature donkey, a burrow, that more than once slept in bed with the three boys. Uh, You know, we had... Now, now, keep this as a, a, you know, PG show. I understand that. It wasn't wasn't (laughs) like that. Uh, And our mother actually kicked the donkey out of the house more than once. Um, There there was a time we had a pet fox that that, uh, was orphaned. Um, We had a pet beaver one time, a trapper. Uh, killed the mother, and, and we knew about it, went down to the river, heard this squeaking, dug out this burrow, took uh, two baby beaver home. Uh, one of them died, and the other one lived, Stanley the beaver, literally lived in Stanley, the bathtub. Why did you, wait, Marty, <laughs> why did you call the beaver Stanley? I do not know. I Again, right. we could blame my mother. She has, she had, has a wonderful sense of humor. Uh, we had an owl named Leona. I don't know where that name came from. Uh, our dog, one of our dogs was Whisper, you know, so I don't know, just, just, just kind of, kind of wacky names. But the point being that, that we were, we had animals around and not only uh, chickens and goats and sheep uh, that were not a farm, not a ranch, just pretty much crazy pets. Uh, My sister was a horse nut. uh, And, uh, you know, we had uh, several horses, like I said, and a Shetland pony. And so that love of animals and the care of animals, animal husbandry, all that sort of thing, that kind of came naturally as far as a love of, of animals was concerned. I can't tell you exactly how we got into filming, uh, except that uh, 
I always thought film was magic. I always thought movies were just were magical, and and I still do. And so we had an old Kodak, uh, a little brownie box camera, and a little Kodak uh, home movie camera, eight millimeter, mm-hmm. not video but film, and not super eight, but eight millimeter, the old old fashioned kind. You know, we'd film birthday parties, we'd film Christmas, people opening presents. And then, of course, we'd film all kinds of wacky stuff with uh, with animals, show them to our friends. Everybody would laugh, and then we'd go make another film. Sounded like you, when you were growing up, you guys, did you do a lot of hunting and fishing, stuff yes, like that, too? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounded like you guys just walked around with, like, a, a jackknife in your pocket, probably a, a gun thrown somewhere. Well, you know, exactly. And growing growing up in Arkansas, that you know, that was really kind of part of the culture, although I had a lot of friends who did not hunt or fish. But uh, I have, uh, there were three boys in our family, and our cousins had three boys. And for whatever reason, it's kind of interesting, one of our three, which was me, was a big hunter. Uh, One of, oh, uh, I'm sorry, let me interrupt myself. Our family was Mary, Marty, Mark, and Marshall. So, like I said, Mary, Marty, Mark, and Marshall. And and to, to, to cap that off, I'm Martin Luther Jr., so my father was also Martin, and I was Martin, although I, I became Marty. Um, so you can you can definitely see the confusion there uh, just with the names. But anyway, in our family, the three boys, one of them was a hunter, which was me, and of our cousins, that was uh, Steve, and then one of my brothers was a big fisherman, uh, Marshall, and, and uh, Butch, uh, my cousin Butch, was a big fisherman. And then the other brother... Uh, Really, my brother Mark really wasn't into hunting or fishing. He kind of did both, but he was never really avid about it. Wasn't his passion. It was not his passion. And we were all into motorcycles and hot rods and go-karts and doing crazy stuff and building ramps to jump off of, you know, on our bicycles or whatever. And so we all joined in that. But it was kind of interesting, and I always thought that, um, you know, that certain individuals are born... And I understand the irony. I started to say they're born with a love of wildlife. And I understand the irony when that love of wildlife segues over to a gun and hunting and shooting them and killing and eating them. In fact, there's a fabulous poem that a lady in Colorado wrote. And it's it's on the Wild America website. And you can also go to it at wildpoem.com. Uh, and it's animals and people the human heart in conflict with itself. That says it That says the, the better than I ever could, this lady's poem. Let's just call it a love-hate, you know? I mean, I mean, some animals we love, some animals we hate. You know, some animals, uh, you know, we eat, and some animals we don't, of course. And, and so it's, it's odd, I understand, that when I say I truly love animals— I even put hunting and being a natural predator ethically into that category of animal love. And there's a lot of people that I'm, I understand just don't, don't. Yeah. They don't, they don't get, get, they don't get that. They don't get that, that we treat that spirit of the animal as much as the spirit of anything, any living being, but at the same time, that's part of our lives and part of our culture and part of what we believe. And in. I'll even tell you, Jeffrey, I'll even tell you a funny story. <clears throat> My mother shares this. When I was young, you know, like young, young, like two, three years old, you know, all the kids have little toy animals, you know, little, little plastic, you've got your little plastic uh, war, you know, soldiers, 
you've got your little plastic cowboys and Indians, and you've got your little plastic animals, you know, three, two, three inches tall, you know, pigs, chickens, elephants, whatever. I, before I was old enough to know any different, would not play with domestic animals. I didn't care at all about horses and cows and pigs. I only wanted wild animals. I'm talking about a two-year-old kid could not possibly know the difference, really, between an elephant and a pig, that one was domesticated and one was wild, but somehow innate or whatever, you know, inborn, somehow I had that love and that interest uh, in animals, you know, from a, from literally from a very early age. And it's, and it never changed. It just, it carried through. I mean, my wife even today complains that I spend so much money on bird seed, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I'm going, baby, look, it's karma. I mean, we, we yeah. film these animals. I mean, we, you know, we, we are, in my opinion, obligated to give back somehow, to, to kind of take care of them, to, you know, but also I put bird on several, I put bird seed on several bird feeders because I love them. I mean, I love to see them around. Yeah. I love to see them flying around. It's, that's got nothing to do with hunting or killing. That's just to see them, you know, to have them. What's your, what's your favorite animal? Oh, my gosh. You know, probably a bighorn ram, only because they're beautiful and strong, and they've got the big horns, and they live up in the beautiful mountains, or either a bighorn ram, you know, sort of macho, or else in a more, let's say, sensitive kind of a realm, a a river otter. Because oh yeah, they're pretty river smart. Otter, Those things are all they do is play. They slide, they yeah, swim, they splash, they mess around. Even when they're hunting, even when they're chasing fish, it's it's just a game. They're they're just a very fun loving animal. So so one of those two probably hard to catch too. The uh, mine my mine would be a buffalo. Um, a bison. Well, that's American. Yeah. That by golly, that's a, the yeah. all American animal right there. Yeah, yeah. So let me. I want to get back to this donkey thing for a second. You know, do, most people don't know donkeys are very protective animals. Yes, and uh, donkeys and uh, mules also. Um, yeah. I mean, they, you put a donkey out with a bunch of horses; it'll protect the herd. That's right. Or with or cattle or sheep. They'll put that. A lot of times, you'll see that. For those who don't know this, you you you'll you'll be driving down the road, and all of a sudden, there's a donkey in the middle of a bunch of sheep. Why? Because that donkey will attack a coyote trying to eat the sheep. That's right. I mean, that's yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's absolutely right. And you know, mules also. For a number of years, I went through. Uh, I was into horses. You know, we would ride horses. For fun, we would ride them, you know, to hunt, to go up in hunting camps, that sort of thing. But the problem was the mountains in Colorado are steep enough. We had a few accidents, wrecks, wrecks, the cowboys call them. Um, we had a few wrecks with horses. And so I, I had horses in my adult life for probably 10 years. And then I got into mules for about another 10 years. And and I'll tell a couple of funny stories about mules. But the, the mules that I always had were females. They're called Molly mules. A male is a John mule. A female is a Molly mule. Um, and and I bought, sold, and traded probably twenty five mules. And I had three mules: Dolly, Janie, and Esther. And those three mules were as smart as any animal I'd ever been around, as loving, but also as vindictive. Uh, you didn't want them. You didn't mess with them. You you do not mess with a mule because it usually she. I like female mules better. Um, and I'm, I'm getting to a point, actually. Um, uh, if you mess with her, she will mess with you back. She'll wait a week. She'll wait a month 
until you're behind her, and then boom, you know, she gets uh, we're even now. But the point I was going to get at was a John mule, a male mule, can be very dangerous around dogs. Because if a dog comes barking around a mule, uh-uh. I mean, they kick hard and they kick accurate, and, and a male mule can just, boom, kill a dog with one kick. Hey, Marty, let me take a quick break. Can I need to do that uh, to keep paying oh, for sure. this? And So I get well, paid. I'll be so. right here. Hey, all right. So, hey, folks, let me ask you a question. Did you file for an extension for this year's tax season? If, if so, pay attention. Liberty Taxo isn't just a seasonal business. They offer tax prep and other services year-round. So all year-round you can go into Liberty Tax because, you know, you got to deal with these things off-season, so to speak, too. So if you're still working on last year's taxes, visit Liberty Tax, where professionals will ensure you get the most accurate return guaranteed. For the office nearest you, visit LibertyTax.com. And you might want to think about before the end of the year, looks like, uh, you know, Trump's going to change the tax uh, laws around, or at least he's trying, I think. And I think they will get it done. I think Congress is going to have to go along with them. So it's going to be kind of interesting. You might want to get in and start thinking about what you need to do to plan ahead. So speaking of planning and what you were doing, you you've most people probably don't know this, Marty, but if we told them, they'll get it. They'll understand because mo- a lot of people who listen to this show even grew up watching you. How many seasons were you on PBS? Um, well, the Wild America uh, series was on PBS for 11 years, 11 seasons. But then we licensed it to them for another uh, three years after that. So it was really on PBS for 15 years. And then once we got that wheel rolling, we had a lot of extra footage, even at the time that the the series was terminated. There was nothing negative about PBS terminating it. In fact, the average television series is only on for five years, and and we were on for 11. Um, It was just a simple matter of enough was enough. Uh, They had 110 half hours. Um, They figured that was plenty. I relicensed it then for another three years. Um, it was it was very successful in more than one year, more than one season. It was the number one highest rated series on PBS. It was always in the top five or definitely the top ten, or actually probably the top three. Um, but then after that, we had a lot of more, a lot of extra footage, and I then edited out of my own pocket ten more. So there are actually 120 half hour Wild America programs. And then what we did was we were working with a company, uh, a big company in L.A. called uh, King World, King World Direct, Michael and Roger King. Their dad actually began with the Little Rascals, the old, old television program. They went on to do Inside Edition. Uh, they did Oprah, for example. Um, I tease my wife a lot of times. You know, I could go to conventions or whatever, and I tease my wife. I go, Oprah? Yeah, I've hugged her. Uh Martha, Martha Stewart, yeah, I've hugged her. <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, and- you got to watch out with Martha, though. I know Martha as well. I know I know Oprah as well too. You got to watch out with Martha. You never. Well, know. in any case, we had a we had a good time because we would go to these big conventions. One of them was NATP, N-A-T-P-E, a National Association of Television, you know, uh, production programming. programming programming television. But yeah. anyway, the, but well, then what happened? That changed, and I guess it's it's downsized some. But but the point is that working in conjunction with King World, we then released uh, Wild America into home video. And and we well, yeah, I was going to get into that. I want to ask you about yeah. that because I mean, you started out in film. Oh, right? everything we shot then, was in film. Yeah. That's right. Now, ironically, yeah. you shoot it in film, 
then you transfer it into video so that it actually goes on television or into a video disc, obviously, a home video, as video, even though it began as film. The great value of that, Jeffrey, is that is that basically film is more timeless than video. I mean, down through the years, my gosh, we had all different video formats, 2-inch, 1-inch, D2, D3, D5, Digibeta, Beta SP, uh, you know, and now, of course, a lot of it is, is into hard drives and, you know, and computer files. Well, but even disc, when it went to CDs and disc, you know, Blu-ray, non-Blu-ray and different oh, different types yep. of different types of discs that you have. And, and now, of course, it's all digitized. Exactly. Right? And so what we have done down through the years is we have literally, as these various video formats became obsolete, we've literally gone back to the film several times and completely retransferred it. And in fact, on my list of things to do, once I find a million dollars or so laying around, uh, one of my things right now that I want to do is uh, is to do uh, another retransfer from the original film to to a 4K. In other words, to get it into the best possible, let's let's say, highest quality. Um, we actually tried to do a Kickstarter and raise that money, and it was not successful. I guess I didn't really know what I was doing as far as the well, you know that 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 gets. I mean, you're an old dog learning new tricks. Let's well, say that because just like and, me, and I'll you know? tell you what the new the new tricks to learn seems like they're coming down the pike faster and faster. You don't think it was that fast before? I know it wasn't, Jeffrey. No, it. I mean, it, let's say from one video format to the next would have been ten years. You know, yeah. ten years to you know two inch video, one inch video, etc. I think now it's. I mean, exaggerating to say ten months, but. It's less than 10 years, for an example. Look, VHS is gone. Uh, what I say, DVD's got, you know, one foot out the door and one foot on a banana peel. Do you, do you, think, you, could, you think you could reproduce? So, uh, look, this is a, I want people to understand, we're talking about huge frickin' success. Marty, you were your own franchise, still are, one of the biggest success, probably the longest-running PBS show Ever. 37 years, uh, Jeffrey, 37 years. Wild America has been on television in America uninterrupted. It's now in syndication for 37 years. And, and I know now I'm, I'm about to work with you and we're not going to tell everything yet, but you're going to see Marty coming out on a, on some digital digital versions of this that we're talking because we're Marty and I are friends. We met, uh, picked. Uh, I, I can't remember how the hell we met Marty, but I'm so glad we did because we've become instant blood brothers from the day we I met. I think it was um, I think it was my friend, business associate, but now friend, Craig McDonald in uh, in Denver. Was, yes, it was, was. It was Craig and Keith. Craig and Keith. Uh, yeah, that's right. Us. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And then that just led us, and now we've 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 gone hunting together. We've sit around and drank a, drank a, a few uh, beverages together, and, and and got to know one another. And then when I had an idea about something else, I came to you about that. We'll tell everybody about that later. But when you when you do you think you could you could do that again today? Oh my gosh! Well, you think you could reproduce this franchise today? You think you could no, do that? Well, you could if you had the funding, but that's the problem. And let me just tell you that because it all comes down to eyeballs. And eyeballs cost money. Um, for an example, uh, when we did the Wild America series, um, I made a decision to let the PBS stations 
show the programs as often as they wanted. Now, up until that time, the producers would give them four runs over three years. Well, that's not very much. I gave them unlimited usage. Jeffrey, they showed it morning, noon, and night. There were some weeks, there were some weeks in the late 80s when over 400 million people a week watched a Wild America episode. See, that's binging before there was binging. 400 million people a week watched a Wild America episode in more than a few weeks. Like I said, in, in some of those years, it was the number one highest rated series on PBS as well. And also- well, let me give the numbers here, Marty, because I don't think a lot of people understand this on the TV business. So you go think and look back, uh, let's say 30 years ago, 20, 30 years ago. So you got 400 million right there. But think about one of the hottest shows ever was um, Happy Days. And, and when Happy Days would come on, they would get ratings as many as 60 million people would watch it. That's right. 60. So it, it was huge. Huge freaking well, numbers. See, there now, was a captive audience. It was four major yeah. channels. It was before Fox, for example. And uh, when we did The Predators with Robert Redford narrating in April of 1977, 1977, my gosh, I can't believe it was, you know, half a lifetime ago. Um 26 million people, 26 million people at the same time watched The Predators, a one-hour special on NBC. We did John Denver specials. Uh, They were 10, 12 million. In general, the Wild America series on PBS was 4 or 5 million per per airing, you see. But maybe there was one at 9 a.m. and one at noon and one at 3 in the afternoon and prime time, et cetera, et cetera. So So those added up. But yes, now these days, people may or may not realize, with a few exceptions, probably give or take one million people watch your average cable television. Well, well, the hot, the hottest show is Big Bang right now, and it will get maybe six exactly. million. And that's the hot, and everyone would say that is the hottest, biggest franchise there is today on TV. And and when they're doing a major, major show, it's six million. So when you think about the numbers that you're pulling. And, you know, 400 million, you know, 200 million watching, 260 million, whatever it was, the number you said. Holy shit, man. Well, you know, like that, the, I mean, you know, we, spent, we spent over $20 million producing the series. We made over $60 million in, in video, home video. Those are, those are big, big numbers, Jeffrey. And, the, and so whether you're on a cable channel or let's, let's call it, you know, any, any channel, you got to have your eyeballs to support the advertisers. Uh, If you're on HBO, of course, you have to pay subscription. PBS, of course, they have fundraisers. But it all comes down to uh, you can't have a restaurant with 10 people. You know, you got to have 100 people walking in that door, that restaurant, or you're not going to be around very long. And and so that being the issue today, if, if you have an audience of 1 million, you simply cannot come up with the funding to produce the the kind of series, the kind of television programming that we did. When we started out, it was... The, the epic. Your, your stuff is epic. I mean, I can, I can only imagine hauling up the freaking equipment out into the wild that you had to haul up. It's, <laughs> the world has changed. We'll put it that way. We had, we had 25-pound cameras and 20-pound tripods and you know, one pound rolls of film and a backpack full of this and that. When my brother Mark and I filmed uh, at McNeil River in Alaska, because we weighed our packs, and you had to hike about two miles up to film the brown bears, and then you had to hike back to camp that night, 
our packs were 200 pounds. We each had two, we each had a 200 pound pack that we carried about two miles a day. That was excessive because we had to take several cameras. Uh, it was very limited. We were only allowed to stay there something like, I don't know, nine days, I think it was. Um, it rained a lot of the time, et cetera, et cetera. We had to carry extra film, magazines, whatever. A normal pack, you know, is probably more like 100 pounds. Um, you know, uh, less than that. I mean, come on. Most, I mean, 80 pounds would be a pretty heavy. No, pack, 100. No, well, um, you know, my brothers and I were both, I don't know, call it blessed or strong or, you know, kind of, I, I like to think of myself as husky. You're big boned. You're big. I, I call myself. You, you and I both. You and I are both about the same size. Well, and and, and, and the other guy that's the same size as us is Babe Winkleman. I, I keep saying the three of us we're all there big boned. Go. We're there big boned. Go. That's a nice. That's a nice way to put it. But in any case, we were muscular enough that look. We to put it this way: when we were in our teens, there was no such thing as a health club, and a friend of ours had kind of a half-ass health club in his backyard, and our weights was was a, a, a railroad rail. So mm-hmm. one guy on each end would pick up the rail and the other guy would be laying on a bench and they would hand him the rail. And that was your, you know, that was your bench press was a railroad rail. That was no barbells with a nice bar and, you know, little cute little round weights on the end or anything like that. So you, I, what, what, what do you wish, what do you wish you would have known back then that, you know, today, about the TV business? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I'll have to think about that for a minute. Uh, it's not as applicable, is it? It really isn't, you know, right? We, I mean, for whatever reason, I always knew that I wanted to do great programs, and that meant putting the money on the screen. Uh, I mean, we would do, I know we, we did a couple of films. We did a thing called Born to Run one time about Pronghorn. And a very well-known music composer. All of our music was originally composed. I mean, to put it in perspective, you know, give or take $10,000. Uh, we spent more on a music score for a half-hour program than many, if not most, people now spend on their entire program. And more than one time, Jeffrey, we would get the music back and I'd go, that's not good enough. Let's get a different composer. We, would, we were going to England. We were we were going to New York. We had Boston Philharmonic people, you know, playing in their off time, actually kind of cheating on their whole union thing. We we had the London, we had London Orchestra people coming in at nights and weekends. Um, you know, twenty six like a like a twenty six piece orchestra playing the music for a half hour wildlife film. It was unheard of, and for whatever reason, I just said I call it pride, call it vanity, I don't know, hubris, whatever. I just wanted the programs to be wonderful. Um, They were always produced at a loss. When we finished the Wild America series, when we finished year 11, I owed $800,000 to the bank. And in fact, I used three different banks illegally. You know, I say illegally and not, I don't know about it. Well, it wasn't kosher. Let's just it put it back then. It wasn't kosher that my bankers didn't know right. about each other, but I couldn't get enough money from one bank, so I, ha- I had three different banks that gave me loans. We ended the Wild America series $800,000 in debt, um, licensed it for three more years to PBS for $3.2 million and and paid off that debt. 
So that'll put it that'll put it in perspective. Here's a guy that goes almost a million dollars in personal debt to make the best darn wildlife films that he possibly could. And so that was my goal. What would I do different? You know, I don't know. I mean, uh, we did pretty darn good. We we had people. It was a it was a it was a love. Love is the only word. I mean, it was it was definitely people who loved what we were doing. It was hard. It was hard as hell. It was frustrating and difficult and weather and animals and people and problems. But you know, Marty, it was a little different. I tell you what I think is different then as it is today. Today, or back then, there was only so many choices. So the good news is if you produce something really good, you could stick with it and have a have a run. Today, you got to put all that money. Most of the money is not in the production side. It's in the marketing well, side. Well, absolutely. And I have no idea how you would get through the clutter. I've, I've, we've, uh, we actually had, uh, well, this was years ago, but in the year 2000, we had the Wild America Library appraised at 57, and it came out at $57 million. I thought that was very high because we'd spent less than half of that on it. But, you know, if you had to go duplicate it today and film all those eagles and skunks and snakes and turtles and stay in all those motels and cabins and fly in all those planes and helicopters and boats, it, it would be $57 million to, to go to go produce it again. And that's if you could get the permission that's if you could find a way to sell it to television for that much money, which, frankly, I don't think you could. Uh, yeah, I, I just tough. don't think I just don't think. Well, I know the funding wouldn't be there because of the fact that the eyeballs are not there because of the. Well, here, let me interrupt myself. I mean, I'm an enthusiastic talker, so I interrupt other people sometimes. I apologize, but I also interrupt myself. So <laughs> I'm going to interrupt myself to say here's one of my isms. The world went from four channels to 400, from film to video, and from quality to crap. <laughs> I know that's rude. I know that's rude. And we were lucky. It wasn't because I was so brilliant or genius or whatever. Because I also jokingly say, Jeffrey, why didn't somebody older, smarter, richer, somebody other than me come up with, let's see, how complicated is this? A television series about American wildlife for an American television audience. Sounds pretty simple. You know, Wild Kingdom was chasing around Africa, and Walt Disney did some programs. They were a little bit on the silly side. But until Wild America came along, there really was nobody focusing on producing documentaries about American wildlife. And I mean chipmunks and shrews and snakes, and frogs, and turtles, and weird little stuff that's really cool and fascinating, but everybody, you know, well, me included, because I was in Africa one time for seven months. Yeah, you did Botswana. Yeah, Botswana, right, and made it back alive against some pretty big odds. But but the point is, yeah, elephants, and lions, and rhinos, and whales, yeah, those are charismatic mega species. I mean, they're they're fabulous. Those big, those big animals are fabulous, but they're more difficult and they're more expensive. And, you know, some of them are found in America. I mean, we've got moose and grizzlies and polar bears and some very cool animals here. Um, and, and for whatever reason, I was blessed uh, to be fascinated with American wildlife and to 
let's just say, be in the right place at the right time. Uh, who knows why? I'm thankful. I'm grateful. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think it was just kind of luck as much as anything. Let me ask you a question. No, one, one more question before we have to go here, because I could keep going on because, you know, I like sitting around a campfire with you and, or just around a just around a table and we just talk. And I, uh, although I often, uh, my favorite Marty, Marty story is the one you started out when you, when you, I don't know if you remember this one night we were all sitting there and you go, now you take cat urine. And I told you, right, stop right then. I went and grabbed some other people. I said, any story that starts with you get, you got to take some cat urine, you know, this is going to be a good story, but I don't want you to tell that story. I wanted, what was, uh, hey, what'd your dad do? Um, yeah, well, you know, there's a Wild America feature film, and it, we did it with Morgan Creek and Warner Brothers. It's also entitled Wild America, about my brothers and I, Marty, Mark, and Marshall, getting into the business. And, and there's actually a sequence in there. In Arkansas, our father's business was Arkansas Rebuilders Supply, and what that was about was that he would basically collect automotive parts. Uh, this was the old days, carburetors, brake shoes, uh, you know, generators, alternators, uh, you know, parts that were rebuildable. Um, and he would aggregate them and then sell them to rebuilders like Champion Parts in Chicago. So basically, yeah. he would be... When you used to rebuild a starter, like I, my, my dad, you know, his old Ford Bronco... Well, that those were known to starters would go out all the time. He never bought a new one. He That's bought a right. rebuilt one. Well, to to yeah. do to rebuild that starter, they needed a core, and a core being an old beat up starter, and then they would rewire it, and, you know, and make it work, etc. So my father's business was literally coast to coast. I drove a lot. We had a big uh, Kenworth eighteen wheeler. You know, uh, drove when I was young enough that I wasn't supposed to be driving wherever, Chicago, New York, New Jersey, L.A., all over the country. So here's this big semi going down the road with these barrels of carburetors and brake shoes and connecting rods and all kinds of things on them being delivered to these large uh, uh, rebuilding uh, uh, places. Like I said, there were some in Philadelphia, Chicago. So not only collecting those parts, and there's actually a, a humorous a humorous sequence in the Wild America film um, about. Is that the one with the actor Jonathan Taylor that's right. Thomas? That's right. Yeah, that, it's a great movie. I encourage people to listen. So, but I'm, why I was why I was asking because it's Martin Luther. Was your dad a religious guy? You know, I don't know. Down south, uh, you know, you know. I mean, I would say he was just a regular American. I mean, he was religious, but he wasn't extreme. Were you, were you Lutheran? Oh, yes. We were Lutheran and Baptist. We kind okay. of bounced back and forth right. between Lutheran and Baptist. But, but it always was. It was a civil rights era, and it was always a little weird because my teachers would love to call me Martin Luther. And I'd ask them to call me Marty, but they would call me Martin Luther, and there was always kind of a giggle a giggle around that. And actually, I was. Well, and I could see you could see that in Arkansas a little bit too. Yeah. I mean, at that time period of, of of life, but you know, I'm thinking back to the days of Martin Luther, oh, exactly. you know, and the Reformation and, yes. and, and Luther. You know, in that regard, you know, no, I don't think my father was was that religious. My sister Mary was named after both of our grandparents. Um, my my brothers Mark and Marshall. I think that was just my mother's, uh, you know, whim that once once she had a Mary and a Marty. That kind of got it rolling, you know, uh, you know, and then there was a Mark and a Marshall, you know, to 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 round it out. 
Well, listen, well, Marty, I got, unfortunately, I'm out of time. I, I got to run. It, always okay. a pleasure. Um, I hope you're going to come out hunting with Would me this year. We'd love to. Absolutely. We got to make it happen. Come out to South Dakota. That's the best bird hunting in the Absolutely. world, as you know. And I want you to drive up from Colorado and come come visit me and spend the spend the week. And we're going to have a blast. And listen, we're going to have to have Marty back. There's no doubt Be about it because time. I just love love I love Anytime, the stories. Jeffrey. I love well, the stories. I'm happy. To, I'm happy to tell him. Uh, and uh, you know, probably more than anything, that's what I am as a storyteller. So maybe that <laughs> maybe that had something to do with it. Without question. All right, my friend. Well, thank you for being right here on All Business with Jeffrey Thank you so much, Jeffrey. We'll talk later. Welcome to C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. Man, what I like to learn is the nature of telling a great story. I I bet you're like me. You could sit there and listen to Marty forever. And so, you know, when you think about your business, what's the story that you can tell? What are the narratives that you can put through, um, you know, various different ways to tell the value of your company? And, you know, that's what Marty does. Marty's got a deep love for what he does and how he does it. But, you know, he can spin a good yarn. And, you know, you can have the greatest product in the world, but if you can't sell it, it's not going anywhere. So you got to be able to tell the story. And telling stories is what it's going to be about because it's all about content now. You know, as Marty was talking about earlier, it's going to cost you a lot more money than it used to to be able to get noticed, to get through the clutter, as he called it. And that means all the different barriers that are out there for people to see your message. So start telling the story. And I appreciate you listening in. Um, right here on All Business, wrote Jeffrey Hazlett, and to C-Suite Radio. Um, we're turning up the volume on business. <laughs> I love that. So tune in and listen, and don't forget to tell your friends about All Business and C-Suite Radio. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.